Welcome to the Bunmi Chronicles podcast. This is Randy Kemp, host and creator of the podcast. I welcome you to my final season of the show with the theme titled Finishing the Crumbs, as I am officially wrapping up this year for good. I hope you enjoy the episodes for the season. Happy listening, everybody. Hi, everyone. This is Randy Kim of the Bunmi Chronicles podcast, and I am here today with a friend. Her name is Kamora Hall. So who is she? So Kamora is a Chicago native and drag artist of over 10 years. Known for her fashion, beauty, and glamour, she competed on RuPaul's Drag Race Season 13 and was featured in Disney's Hocus Pocus 2. Since then, Kamora has been an advocate for many social issues, a model, and brand influencer. So we met at a party celebrating the Asia and Argyle Chicago neighborhood that was organized by Celebrate Argyle back in June. So shout out to Sonny Wen. Um, I didn't realize I was sitting next to you until you introduced yourself as Kamara Hall. And <laughs> yeah, and you didn't have your drag wear on at the time, but <laughs> I, you know, I wanted to share how down to earth you are and how special it was for us to be in that community space. Uh, for me, the Asian Argyle neighborhood holds a special place in my heart as a Vietnamese Khmer American. And it is a place where our families would buy their groceries, take their kids for their immunizations or to get their hair cut. Yeah. So what does Asia and Argyle mean to you? Hey, Randy, thanks for having me. It's my first official podcast. So woo! thanks for popping that cherry. Um, you know, I'm also very happy we got to meet at the Celebrate Argyle uh, events. But anyway, to answer your question, uh, you know, kind of everything you just said, like Asia and Argyle to me means childhood. It brings nostalgia. It's great memories. And, you know, you take those things for granted as a kid because you don't like, you know, you don't think about it. But as you get older, you look back on it and it was like, wow, this was such a very like happy time, very simpler time. I just, uh, you know, I did not grow up in Argyle, but I grew up going to Argyle. And I just remember every Saturday after church, my parents would take me to the pho restaurant next to Dainam. But I think it's no longer there. But that was like the only reason why I would go to church was to get some like bomb ass pho afterwards. <laughs> yeah, you know, it like you, I didn't grow up in Argyle, but I went there quite a bit with my family like every weekend and I used to hate going there because it was a long drive from the suburbs um my dad would spend I don't know an infinite amount of time trying to find parking which was always um an event in itself and you know it it brings back a lot of great memories and how do you feel about Asian Argyle now after all these years I just love coming back to it and kind of being like, I don't want to say humbled, but it kind of brings me down to earth again. Um, because I I feel like I've, I'm older now. I've done a lot of things. And, you know, for me, I, I will admit, I didn't have the happiest kind of adolescence and whatnot. But, and so I try to get rid of all those memories um, as I got older. But now that I'm in like a better place in my life as an adult and coming back to Argyle, I actually have a different outlook on it. And I, I actually try to remember all the positive things in my childhood and adolescence when I did come to Argyle. And like you said, even even things like trying to find parking, uh, waiting 20 minutes in the supermarket just for a spot. Um, and so just, the same you know, thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even like Sunwa, you know, it, I was so happy to see that you know, I, w- I was a Sun Wild when it was like a little shack. And now yes, it's like, I remember. Ele- yeah. And now it's elevated. Uh, it's, I'm so happy for their success. And, you know, even like Farama, you know, never in my life would I have imagined Farama hosting a drag show. And so shout out to Abby, who runs uh, Dim Sum and Drag along with Auntie Chan, Lotian, Love Ami, and I think uh, a few other people. And, you know, bringing LGBTQ representation to Argyle, which to me, you know, growing up, I never would have thought they Argyle would have been so accepting of queer people. And so it just puts a huge smile on my face. That is that's such a uh, transformation to see that happen. And, you know, when we talk about that period of time, uh, there is this 
growing appreciation. We're seeing people of our generation come back to it. I mean, look at Habayo and what they're doing. Shout out to yes. that group for um, bringing it back, uh, um, bringing the nostalgia back, but also doing it in a way that is reflective of the times and done in our own agency. So I'm proud of that community. I'm actually, I'm so proud to have met you in that space uh, during that uh, during that event. Um, so your parents are Vietnamese and I'm curious to know what was their journey like coming to the U.S. and what led them to Chicago? Oh, sure. Also, <laughs> also <laughs> wanted to, no, I also wanted to add because you were like, you didn't even recognize me at the event, which, okay, because I've always, try to be very incognito and it's funny like as a drag queen i actually hate attention and that weird right like wow. drag queens are literally the center of attention but um when i'm not in drag, actually no even when i'm in drag and out of drag i like try to not have everyone look at me and it's funny the irony of that when when i am in drag i show up with like the most glamorous dress and big ass hair i'm like oh don't look at me don't pay attention to me <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, I'm very, I'm just very shy. And that's just who I am. I don't think it's a bad thing. It's just, you know, I, I also try to be very humble. Like, yes, I was on RuPaul's Drag Race, blah, blah. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just, I'm just me, you know? So I wanted to come to the event as just Paul, as myself. Mm -hmm. um, and, but sorry, back to your question. Uh, yeah, my parents, they immigrated to the U United States, I believe in 1981 because that's when they had my sister. Um, my parents are actually not uh, fresh off the boat. They're actually fresh off the plane. Uh, somehow <laughs> my mom, because she was pregnant with my sister at the time, uh, so they flew here, but they gave my parents first class because my mom was like pregnant. And so they flew here in luxury. <laughs> so they made a great first uh, step into the United States. But anyway, yeah, they grew up here in the 80s. They had my sister and my and again you don't really like appreciate what your parents had to go through until you're much older um and i try to you know think back on it I, i'm trying to let go of all that like any resentment that i had we'll get into it if you want but yeah. as, a, as an adult now though i'm just uh i'm in awe of my parents because and i'm sure like yours and many others they came here to the united states with like almost nothing but they were able to provide for a family. They worked really hard. My parents raised three kids. You know, we're all, you know, well into our adulthood now and successful in our own right. And, you know, and I had a conversation with my dad for his on his birthday. And he said, you know, he's really proud of all of us. He said, you know, I came here. I worked hard. I raised three kids. I can die happy. And so wow. that makes, yeah, it makes, that was like, Whew. that was an emotional moment for me. Like I never, my dad is very quiet. He doesn't like to show much emotion and to hear him say that was like, wow. That's beautiful to share. And, and also it's very validating to hear uh, when your own family, your own parents actually says that they're proud of you, that they can actually let go of this struggle that they've been carrying in for so long, having Absolutely. to raise a family, having to survive assimilation, having to, you know, process their own traumas coming here. And I think it's such a beautiful moment when they can actually let go and say, I can finally be at peace. Right. Yes. How and oh, I'm, go ahead. Oh, I'm glad you and I'm glad you brought that up too. Like I was just the whole I was just saying earlier, I felt like I was letting go of any resentment or whatnot. Like my parents also did too. And so Thank you for bringing that up. Like, I didn't even think about it. Yeah, which brings me to that uh, next question is, how would you describe your upbringing, particularly at a time when you were discovering your own queer identity? Oh, sure. You know, I I always knew I was different. I didn't know the word gay yet, but I, I feel like I knew even when I was six years old. You know, I just, I was different. I did, I... I didn't want to be like the other boys doing sports or whatnot. I wanted to play with the Barbie dolls. I wanted to hang out with all the girls. I wanted to gossip and talk about the boys. You know, I wanted to play dress up um, when my parents were not home, when my sisters weren't home. I would literally put on their heels and dresses and like 
practice my runway walk. No, for real. And see, I didn't even know that was drag back then. See, it was meant to be, right? How things work wow. out. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, I want to say, but the first time I knew that being gay was like a bad thing or had like a bad connotation to it was, um, I think I was like eight or nine. But for some reason, I just always grew up thinking my nose was really big. Uh, I was always very self-conscious about my nose being wide. I don't know like how that started, but, um, and this is weird. I will say this is weird for like a nine-year-old to say, eight, nine-year-old during like the dinner table, literally eating food with my parents, my sisters, and out of nowhere, it was like, mom, I want a nose job. I literally said, I want a nose job. And wow. my mom turned to me and said, no, that's gay. And that was the first time I ever heard, I think the word gay and gay used in like a negative way. So I instantly knew that it was not okay. And that me having my, my feelings, my, my sexuality, my identity, I had to keep it to myself. Like if I said something, if I said I was gay, if I came out, it would not go well for me. And I just, and I think that's when I started to really become, become distant with my family because I used to be so close to my mom and dad as a kid. And then, like, I would, I, I just remember I would, like, be so excited to see them come home from work. They would hug me, kind of show the same affection. And then I think when I came to the realization, you know, I'm gay and they're not going to be okay with it, that's when I really started to kind of just hide in my room. I wasn't as the bright kid I remember being with my parents my sisters um so that was like a dark time for me and you know with I'm sure you know too like with Asian families we don't really talk about mental health struggles we don't really talk about our feelings we just hold it in and you know I and I will admit I actually didn't even start going to therapy until maybe yeah two years ago two summers ago and I wish I did I just felt like I would have been so much happier even like yeah, I just know I would have been much happier. Mm. I did go to therapy sooner. It's thank you for sharing your journey uh, into your childhood, and I think about this a lot too because as I've gotten older, I started reflecting more about my own queer identity um, as an Asian American, as as Vietnamese Khmer American, and thinking about how gay was used as a negative connotation. It was like there was this expectation of being a man and yes. how we were often punished if we were not uh living up to that expectation mm -hmm. and it's it's very traumatic sometimes when we have to revisit those times when our families weren't validating us um that were often uh questioning whether we are normal and that what we want, what we desired isn't normal. And that was very harmful. I, I remembered, you know, growing up, I was a huge Madonna fan, Janet Jackson yeah. fan, Mariah Carey. Uh, those were my, uh, I, I think that's the, uh, that's the, the, tr the triple, I can't even think of the right word today, but it's, it's basically the triangle of queerness, uh, the way <laughs> I look at it. And, you know, my brother is also engaged in homophobia they were saying well that's so gay I can't believe you like them and I did not have shame but I felt like I was forced to have shame uh, into yeah. my into liking uh I was forced to have shame and but I saw liking female pop stars uh you know hanging out with uh women uh hanging out with girlfriends you know was something that I preferred to do and it's it's hard because because it, it feels like you had to hold yourself back for I don't know how many years until you until you get to a point where I've had enough I deserve yeah. to fulfill those desires and I feel like in some ways a lot of our own queer community members especially in our own community um it feels like our adolescence was delayed in some ways because it took us so long to, for us to, to reach our yes. um, 
to reach our potential to fulfill our desires. I remember someone on Twitter said it best, like, as queer people, we grow up as a version of ourselves that we are not happy with, or mm. we, we, we don't, we don't really grow up to be ourselves. And, you know, we don't get to have those opportunities of like summer parties or listening to music we want to listen to and just really being ourselves. And actually question for you, what's your favorite Janet Jackson song? Great question. I probably will have to go with, and I know this changes every week. Uh, <laughs> The Rob. The Rob? The Rob, yes, from the 1993. Oh, Throb. Yes, yes, I love that song so much. I have to say, I am not familiar with it, but I need to listen to it. Um, I do love Janet as well. I'm not a huge fan like you are, but my favorite song is Escapade. Is so uh, that's another one, too. That's another one. Good. Did I you love see that song. Janet when she was here? Yes, I did. And guess what? I got to meet her in person in Milwaukee. Shut the fuck up. Hey, as you should, you know, I mean, all the legendary divas are coming back on tour. This might be yes. the last go. So I would I, too. I mean, I hope not for Janet's sake, but I can yeah, also right. see her getting older and also wanting to take care of her son. But yeah, I mean, it was such a magical dream can true. But it also feels like I'm telling my old 12-year-old struggling teen self that life is going to be a lot of fun along the way. You mm -hmm. are going to meet the woman of your dreams, you know? Literally. Not someone I'm going to marry, like, literally, but, like, <laughs> an idol. So, yeah, I, I, I felt like I was doing these things to nurture my young self that, that was unhappy, right? So. That's, that's so true. You have such a good point. Like, we're, as adults now, we're doing all the things that we miss out on as kids, as adolescents. Those, you know those activities that like I guess you know straight people can do like mm -hmm. freely and not have to worry about anything I guess right I was gonna ask you like I think this is something that I'm always very curious about too but what were some uh, what were some of your personal experiences that led you into drag performance and what was it about drag that created a spark for you you know like I mentioned earlier I always wore my mom's clothes, my sister's clothes when they weren't home, walking in their heels. So it's like I was doing drag before I even knew what drag was, you know? And, but I remember the exact moment. I I think I was in, yeah, it was like freshman year of college. I think I just came home from class and my sister, uh, Lisa, um, was watching season one of RuPaul's Drag Race. So this, yeah, so this was like 2009. So... I, I just remember, like, uh, I could hear her laugh, you know, I didn't know what she was laughing at. So I joined her in her room. And I was like, what's this? And she's like, I don't know, it's called RuPaul's Drag Race. And that was the moment I was first, I guess, exposed to drag. Um, and I was hooked. And then I went to Loyola University. And later on, I found out that every year, the LGBT, uh, resource group at Loyola, they hold a student and professional drag show. And so of course I was like, okay, this is my chance. So go to my first drag show. That's where I saw my eventual drag mother, uh, rest in peace, Lady Taj Mahal, who also performed with Dieter Ritz, Kelly Lauren. And I just remember telling myself that if I ever wanted to do drag, I want to be just like her, Taj Mahal. Wow. I'm curious to know uh what were you able to do other work besides being a drag artist as you were you know working through uh working through the drag scene always like what what my other occupations were <laughs> right exactly well i mean i worked at victoria's secret for a long time uh um, oh, wow. actually no yeah yeah so how, i don't know how, how my parents didn't know i was gay uh, i think they're they're <laughs> in huge no literally they were like in huge denial it was crazy um and oh here's the thing too well, well i will get to it but i just remember like even as i got older and i was trying to make it very like apparent that i'm gay or very flamboyant i would still like walk into my parents and then them having conversations like oh you know i wonder like who he's gonna marry he's gonna need a woman to cook for him and like knows how to clean i was just like are you serious right now like are we still having this conversation like that to me just shows that they're either in denial or really thought that I'm like straight 
Um, it just was flamboyant. But anyway, um, yeah, I worked at Victoria's Secret during my uh, college years. Uh, <laughs> I bought a lot of my undergarments there for drag. So thank you, Victoria's <laughs> Secret, Old Orchard. Um, but actually, um, and so my first job out of college, so I studied sociology, social science research specifically. And um, my first, I guess, like, quote unquote, real job out of college was for this social science institute. It's located in River North, Old Town. And I, um, I was hired on as a research assistant, and then I became like a senior research coordinator and helping with all the research projects, clinical trials, helped all aspects of like recruitment, writing papers, help with grants, whatnot. Um, and I actually still work that job to this day, even mm -hmm. after Drag Race and all that. I just really enjoy the work that we do. I've always enjoyed helping people. And even though, um, you know, conducting research, we're not like directly helping, we're indirectly helping the bigger picture. And we mostly focus on people who have mental health issues, substance use disorders, high risk of HIV, you know, people, you know, disadvantaged communities. And so it just felt that work to me was very fulfilling. And um, I've worked at this place for nine years now. And they were always very supportive of me doing drag, even when I had to leave for drag race when I came back from Drag Race. Um, and so, yeah, they're my family and I still work there till this day and I'm very proud of it. That is awesome. And, you know, you talked about how your parents were in denial of your own queerness for such a long period of time. Oh my God. How? Yeah, I wonder how did your family react to you wanting to get into drag? Because there's a difference. There's There's queerness, but then there's drag, there's trans and, you know, yes. that's a whole nother layer to contend with so I'm curious as to what that conversation must have been like oh let me tell you okay all right we had the perfect time so okay let's rewind so this was so I was when I was I started dragging college right and I was also living at home at this time and so I would literally hide all my wigs and makeup in my closet and you know of course pants are gonna snoop you know and my parents are, were very overprotective of me. They babied, babied me for a very long time. And so there was one day where I like came home, I think from work. I think I was like, how old was I? I, I must have been like 22, 21, 22. So I was like junior, senior year. Anyway, um, and then like my parents were literally, actually it was my dad that first um, confronted me about it. So I came home, he was literally sitting on my bed and literally like my closet door was open. My wigs were out, the makeup was out. And then I was like, oh shit, like we're gonna have this conversation, you know? And so I just remember sitting down on my bed next to my dad and surprisingly my dad took it a lot better than my mom. Um, and so, but he told me, he straight up said like, are you gay? I'm like, like yeah, I am. And so, you know, my dad also asked me, like, do you want to be a woman? I'm like, no, like, this is just for fun. And, you know, I don't really know how to explain drag to my parents. My Vietnamese is only so good, but I have to explain to them that, you know, this was just for fun. It's like a costume. And so I realized later on that, like, my dad was more worried about me and more scared about me. He literally, his words were, you know, I don't want you to get sick. And, you know, I didn't really realize what he meant until like a few years ago because my parents, they immigrated here in the 80s, mm. you know. Mm -hmm. the, only, the only knowledge they had of gay people was AIDS. You know, the, 80, the, the AIDS crisis of the 80s and the 90s. And so it all made sense to me why he said that because I didn't understand it at the time. And, you know, my dad was just scared for me. And, you know, they, they were not very educated on HIV, AIDS, and gay people. And so, you know, I think that's why my mom was really worried, too. But my mom was, she took it really hard. Like, uh, she, it was really difficult for my mom. Um, she actually didn't talk to me for, like, a week or two. 
And actually, I forgot to say this. Actually, my mom actually asked my sister. So my oldest sister, Cammy, she was actually the first person I ever came out to. Mm-hmm. She was very accepting of me. She she was my best friend growing up. She still is one of my still one of my best friends today. And so my mom actually asked her if I were gay, and my sister didn't feel comfortable being the one to have to tell her. So that's not for her to say. But um, you know, she like was just like, "You got to ask him," you know, and so. I think my mom just didn't really want to have that conversation, even though she knew. But then randomly, like, so after not talking to me for like a week or two, one day I came home, my parents were just kind of sitting by the door and things were kind of like, quote unquote, normal, you know? They're just like, hey, are you hungry? I'm like, no, I'm fine, you know? And like, that was it. And so I think my parents just didn't really know how to, acknowledge it except to kind of sweep it under the rug because Mm -hmm. even after coming out to them at 22 or so it still was kind of like an issue you know like they didn't really acknowledge that they know I'm gay but they didn't really acknowledge I'm gay uh that makes sense like they didn't really want to face it still come to an acceptance and even when I I'm with my long-term boyfriend and brought him around he was still just like the friend, you know, but uh, I'm 31 now. And that was what nine years have passed. Yeah. Yeah, Almost a decade. And so, and just recently, I won't say a year or two, I think they're finally, finally okay. Or accepting of me being who I am because a few things. (laughs) So my mom uh, actually considers me as one of the girls. So, <laughs> no, literally, yeah. Like, That's great. Like, uh, it's so funny. It's so my, my, I don't really, this is just like the gist of the conversation, but my sister was like, yeah, like, you know, you're, you have, um, <laughs> you have three granddaughters, you have another granddaughter on the way. And my mom was like, yeah, and I have three daughters too. And it was just like, I know she, that was just her way of being accept, being accept, accepting. And um, even when I like, asked if I could bring my boyfriend around to family events. She's like, yeah, of course he can come. He's your boyfriend. You know, he says, she said, yeah, of course he's your bang jai, you know, uh-huh. yeah, bang jai, which is a boyfriend in Vietnamese instead of, he's not just a friend anymore. So that was her way of saying to me, like, you know, I accept you. I love you. And also with my dad, I, I, I brought it up earlier, but, um, I think for him, another turning point was actually uh, was his brother's funeral, my uncle's funeral. I just remember I sat next to him and he really like kind of opened up to me and said, you know, um, I just want you to be happy, live your life. You know, you're an adult now. I can't tell you what to do. And um, sorry, not to like kind of go all over the map, but when I had to leave for drag race, I had to tell my parents, you know, I couldn't just like leave the face of the earth and not tell them where I was going. So I had to tell my parents, I'm filming a TV show where I have to dress up as a woman. You know, it's 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 like I'm being like an actor, basically. That's how I explained it to them in a way mm-hmm. that they can understand. And my dad said the same thing. You know, he was like, you know, I can't tell you what to do. You're an adult. Just be safe. And so I just feel like we're at a good point in our life. And that's when I started to finally heal mm-hmm. from that trauma. That's beautiful. And I'm so glad that your parents were also, you know, supportive of you going on to RuPaul's Drag Race. And I, I gotta say, how did they react to you achieving that fame, especially as a drag artist? I, I wonder if that must have been spellbounding for them. <laughs> you know what? I wish that were the case because they're just they're just so out of touch because they don't watch TV. Mm. You know, they just they just discovered Facebook. And you know they they don't they don't know what they, I I've tried to explain to them I even told them that I'm gonna be in a Disney movie and my mom's like okay but uh, how much money are you making now you know? <laughs> it's like, like they, that never that, ends bro- does it yeah it never ends so my brother in law actually you know he made a joke a few years back but it's so true it's like you know at the end of the day they don't care you're gay. They just care if you're poor or not, you know, like, they just want to make sure, it's like, we didn't travel to this country, you know, 40 something years ago, just for you to be like, you know, not living to your full potential. And so, um, 
No, like they, I mean this in the best way. Like they don't care. Like they're, they're happy that I'm doing what I, what I'm doing, mm-hmm. but it's just, but it's just like, they're not like, they don't care. You know, they're happy for me. Like do, I'm doing what I want to do. They're like, okay, whatever. Um, and so actually when they, when I told them I was going to do this show, they actually thought it was a scam. They thought that I was going to get kidnapped in LA, which is kind of true. They kind of did kidnap me and like put me in a, a van, an undisclosed van and drove me to set. But, <laughs> but yeah, they, um, like it, it sounds bad, but like they don't care, but in like a good way, you know, like they don't, yeah, you, you get what I'm saying. It's hard to like, yeah. It's hard to explain. Yeah, I'm curious to know. I'm pretty sure audiences definitely want to know is how, what is behind the name Kamora Hall. Oh my god! So actually, my first drag name was actually a uh, Yoko Tsunami. Uh, I have no fucking clue why. I'm not even Japanese. I just I just I wanted something like very Asian, and so when I debuted in college, I was Yoko Tsunami. But um, when I started taking drag seriously and uh, started being mentored by my drag mother, Taj Mahal, she was like, first things first, you need to get rid of that name. You need something more serious. And so, but, uh, so actually my friend at the time, Nico, shout out to my bestie, Nico, he was like, well, what about the name Kimora? And, you know, at the time, Kimora Lee Simmons was really popular. She had a very Asian sounding name, but I wanted to spell it like differently to like stand out. And, you know, I couldn't find any drag queen, any person named Kamora and spelled the way I spell it the way I do. So, you know, I felt like it was kind of like, quote unquote, original. And I, I brought it to my drag mother, asked her her opinion. How do you, what do you think of the name Kamora Hall? And she said she loved it. It had a nice ring to it. And so I just, it just stuck, you know, it sounds kind of classy, elegant, a little exotic, Asian. So it was perfect. For RuPaul's Drag Race, I know everyone has seen your appearance on it and how did you feel about the aftermath of it because I know that I've I've watched some interviews of you I know that you had some regrets too about the way it was done but a lot of us that saw it also saw that you were very beautiful and very elegant and I'm very curious because I know that the world drag can be very brutal it's uh, absolutely and especially as like one of the few um, which I will talk about uh, later on is, you know, as one of the few Asian Americans, I feel like there's got to be this pressure to to succeed, and it's still, even though it may not be in the STEM field, but it's still competition that we are so conditioned to have to perform well, and 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 especially in, in the world of drag that you were, um, you know, that you were vying for. Absolutely. You know, it's it's funny because I thought, like, I was physically prepared for the show in terms of, like, things, but mentally, emotionally, I was not, and I was not in a good headspace filming. And I'm not gonna lie to you, you know, going home first sucks. Like, <laughs> it sucks. And especially when, um, you know, you have so many people rooting for you at home, like, not just your your family, your friends, you feel like you need to represent the entire Asian community in Chicago, the world. And I, I didn't know if I was going to be the only Asian one on the cast that I was. And so I felt even more pressure. And, uh, but you know what? I've kind of let that all go. Yes, coming back home from the show when it aired and everything, I was really sad about it. I was even bitter about it. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I did it. I'm really proud of myself. I don't have to wonder what if anymore, you know. Like, sure, it didn't turn out the way I wanted to, but I fucking did it. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's when I realized, like, I can't be bitter about it because, you know, I got what I wanted from the show. Honestly, I got the platform, the name. I've had so many opportunities because just because I was on RuPaul's Drag Race. that like, you know, there's nothing to be upset about. And, you know, going home first, yeah, it does suck, but I bet you there's so many other drag queens who would have loved to be in my position, even if that meant going home first. So it's like, don't be bitter, just be grateful and happy. And I'm so fortunate for all the success that I have gotten despite going home first. And you know what? And you know what? I think it's just that Asian mentality of like, just work hard, you know, keep working hard 
no matter where you place in life, you just be good at it. Just do your best, find your niche, work on it and be successful. And so, you know, for me, I just really, you know, I, I will say like, even as a drag queen, um, you know, you, when you think of a drag queen, you think of like the club, the bar performing, but performing and performing is not my strong suit as you could say on RuPaul's Drag Race, but, uh, you know, like some queens get their life on stage. I get my life in front of a camera, you know, I like doing mm. photo shoots. I like, I like being more of like a, a, a content creator, a digital artist. And I found, I found my success there. And, um, I have a lot of fun being like a model brand ambassador, I guess, like a drag influencer, as you can say. Um, and yeah, I just, uh, I have all these amazing opportunities that are kind of in that, in that medium. And so I just kind of stuck with it, uh, post drag race and, I'm just, I'm just not bitter, you know? I'm so grateful for RuPaul's Drag Race. And even coming back on season 14 for that guest appearance, I don't know if you watched it or not, um, you know, that kind of felt like my redemption episode. That felt like my all-stars run wrapped in 40 minutes. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, go watch it. But I had a lot of fun coming back. It's amazing how fun things can be when there's no pressure of competition, huh? <laughs> mm, indeed. And... As a Vietnamese American, what was it like navigating the drag space, especially when there are still fewer Asian Americans? And in a way, you've touched this, you touched upon this uh, earlier, but how does that impact the work that you do as a drag artist? Of course, you know, I, I just kind of felt like because we have such a huge platform, we really got to use it to kind of uplift others. And this was during, especially during the time when we filmed, when I came back from filming, and even when it aired, we were still in the time of uh, Stop Asian Hate, you know, uh, the racism against our community, you know, Asians. It just, it was astounding to me. I never experienced that before. And I just really wanted to use my platform to really spread that message across. I really wanted to do something special with all of my Asian drag sisters here in Chicago. We did a photo shoot for, it was actually for the Yellow Runway. And, you know, yeah, I know yellow has been used in a discriminatory way, but like for me, like I love the color yellow. You know, I think yellow is so beautiful. And, you know, if you want to call me yellow, call me yellow. I think yellow is such a beautiful color. I'm proud of it. I'm like reclaiming it in a way, you know? So part of doing that photo shoot, that project with them was kind of reclaiming the word yellow and showing like the beauty of it and that you know, people always kind of group us Asians together, right, as as one, but I want to show that we're all different shades, we all have our own stories, our own experiences, our own journey, and, you know, I tried to, even though, even though I didn't get to show, show all of them, but I did try to incorporate, um, you know, my Asian heritage, my Vietnamese heritage in my runway package, and to show, like, hey, we did it, like, just, like, it's not just me that made it to this platform. We all did, you know, like when one of us shines, we all shine. So mm -hmm. I just really wanted to uplift the Chicago Asian drag community, all Asians everywhere as best as I could. Even if that meant, you know, even though I went home first, you know, that doesn't mean that I can't stop and I can't uplift others. You know, in recent times, there's been many anti-queer and trans laws that have hurt the LGBTQ yes. community along with the drag bands, like Tennessee, for example. Mm -hmm. What can you share about the effect that it has on you and your community this year? Absolutely. It's funny because when I first, when I first heard about that, you know, like people calling us groomers, pedophiles, you know, uh, talks of a drag band, we're like, oh, that's not going to happen. You know, like, like no one's gonna take this seriously, and then and then it did, you know. And I I can't say specifically, but you know, I had a lot of you know opportunities with major brands and corporations about you know pride things or like drag center content, and you know they fell through. You know they kind of like ghosted me. It didn't pan out, and you know I was really like confused and somewhat like hurt by it because it's like in the past these companies have stuck by the queer community the gay community drag artists and had no problem showing support years ago but like why now you know 
why now are you backing away? Like, where were you? You know, like when we, I know we kind of make fun of corporations for like rainbow washing and just slap it on a rainbow, but it was really disturbing to see the lack of companies and corporations not showing their support, you know, and um, it, you, you just really, you know, uh, how do I say this? It's like, drag has never really been about money. But, you know, it's, it's nice, right, to be paid for what you want to do. But it's just, it just really baffled me how all these exciting opportunities that I thought I had coming my way just kind of fell through, didn't happen because of this conversation around drag queens, the queer community, trans people. And don't get me wrong, I'm so grateful for the opportunities and the partnerships that I've had during Pride and shout out to the companies that had that continue to stick for the community. But yeah, like and not just um me, but my drag sisters who do love performing and whatnot, like a lot of them have lost a lot of gigs just because of this fucked up, you know, conversation about drag queens and like we look at the statistics, you know, you know it, I know it, they know it. <laughs> like most people who are majority of uh, recorded pedophiles were not, are not drag queens. Show me a drag queen that has uh, caused harm to children. You know, like, it just, sorry, talking about this just really pissing me off. And that's not on you, just mm-hmm. as a drag queen, as a gay person, as a queer person, it's like, come on now. Like, are we, we're literally in the Stone Ages, you know? I feel like we're going to be in the Stone Ages. Which also asked me, because I think this is such, such an important uh, time that we're it's an important time right now because we do need to talk about the impact that these laws have had on the community itself as a whole. But also, I don't want to stay there. I don't want to stay in that deficit too. Like for me, I also want to, sh- like, as a person who also supports the drag, the trans community, I want to also share or to hear the voices of those who believe in the abundance of the community mm-hmm. and it's so one of the questions that that stick out to me is like what are the best things about being drag for you that people may not know about and what does the future of drag look like to you and that's the thing too you know i sometimes have to question that myself like i need to re- remind myself why i even do drag in the first place like drag i will always love drag whether the money is there or not Drag is my artistic outlet. It makes me happy. It makes me so goddamn happy to do drag. Like my favorite thing about drag is conceptualizing a look and bringing it to life. You know, I I don't think there's anything more powerful than seeing a vision of yourself and turning into reality. And that's kind of what we kind of talked about, right? Like as adults, we were kind of making up for all the things we didn't get to do as adolescents, as kids. You know, I'm my own barbie doll i'm my own bob maggie barbie doll like i uh, i like i just there's nothing more exciting to me than pulling together a drag look head to toe like i'm telling you i am an artist i'm a creator and you know it was um and i have to remind myself that that like i will continue doing drag i will continue producing art and you know whether companies are gonna brands are going to continue supporting us or not that's not going to stop me from doing it you know that's why you gotta that's what you gotta remember drag has always been about protests and you know my whole look just getting into drag the wigs the heels the pads that is a protest that's a performance right there that every that is gender performance and you know i i think that whether this whole drag band is drag talk whatever is gonna roll over or not hopefully it does we're still gonna be here we're not going anywhere you know trans people gay people queer people we have existed millions of years okay like we ain't going anywhere we're gonna still gonna be on your tv screens the movie screens you can't get rid of us no matter how hard you try and that's the funny thing too it's like all these people are putting so much energy into anti-drag laws anti-trans laws when they could be doing something else you know like why can't we just find a cure for cancer uh find housing for homeless people like there's so much more things we can put our energy and time and money into why do you care if i put on a fucking wig on you know like 
make it make sense. Thank you for amplifying this and for amplifying this important work that you and your colleagues are doing. And, you know, drag, it's a it's also grassroots too. You know, it, it mm -hmm. starts from the people who, um, the audiences that come in to support the community that are queer themselves or trans or non-binary. And for them, it's like drag is a place of joy. It's a place of safeness. It's a place of celebration. And so I love what you're saying in this because you can try to kill as much joy as you can, but you can't completely destroy it. You just can't. Mm. And I'm glad that this is the kind of conversation that we need to have that um, that our communities are not going to be tied to victim to tied they're not going to be tied to being victims. Nope. You're only going to amplify their strengths and their potential. And I can't wait to see what comes of it because, because the future is drag. The future is queer. And, yes. and the future is trans. So one of your inspirations I want to talk about is legendary fashion designer Bob Mackey, who famously oh. designed for Cher and Tina Turner, who's a favorite of mine, God bless her soul. I am such a yes. Tina Turner fan. Why is he such an influence in your work? You know what? I I, I thought about that. I think it's because, uh, you ever watched Paris by Night growing up with your parents? Yes, a long time ago, yes. <laughs> of course, you know, and like I just, you know, they were basically, it was like a Vegas showcase kind of, right? Like it was a variety right. show. There were all these glamorous costumes and I was always drawn to that. I loved watching it with my parents. Um, and I think that that level of glamour was what drew me to Bob Mackey's designs. Like he speaks my language, you know, like, <laughs> and let me just say, yes, Bob Mackey has been around for decades. Drag queens have been inspired for him by, for decades. Me loving him and whatnot is nothing new. Um, but when I started drag and when I bought my first real dress, it was a Bob Mackie. And I was was like, oh, who is Bob Mackie? And, you know, I just did a lot of my own research on him. And I just knew that, like, his style, his designs is what I want to be. You know, that's who, that's who Kamora Hall wants to be. She wants to be the Mackie woman. She wants to be glamorous, luxurious. She wants everything that Paul has never had as a kid growing up, you know, she drips in luxury when in reality I'm dripping in student debt. And so, you know, drag is all about fantasy and I live my fantasy through my drag persona. Yeah. And as we start to wrap things up, what plans do you have coming up for the rest of this year? Of course, you know, I will right now, because let me try to think, because by the time this podcast airs, I think it'll be over, but, um, I am doing like a Barbie show at Berlin next Friday, which I'm really excited. I don't think they posted about it yet, but of course, you know, they gotta they gotta book the bar the Bob Mackie Barbie doll. So I'm really excited to be part of that. Uh just I have a lot of projects in art that I wanna showcase in the next few months. I've kind of been in this weird creative rut, but I'm like pulling myself out of it. And like I said, I'm just reminding myself why I even do drag in the first place. You know, it brings me joy. And, you know, I love producing content. I love making art. I love showing people why my drag is at the level that it is. I want to show people why I was casted on Drag Race. You know, I want to show people why I'm still around, why I'm still here. And so just stay tuned. Please follow me on all my socials at Cotmore Hall. And I'm just so excited to show you what I have in store. And Wonderful. you know what? And also, like, part of it, too, is uh, I'm the type of person that's very, like, I just want to see what happens next, you know? Mm -hmm. I want to see what's come, what's going to come my way. I believe everything happens for a reason. That is wonderful. And I'm so glad to witness your journey, too, and your growth. And, and also being able to uh, hear you talk so, um, so cerebral, uh, can we say it? being so cerebral uh, about your plans and also how you want your art to look like. And I think that's really wonderful. And I want to ask you one last question. So if you can talk to your, hmm, I'm going to guess an age, 15-year-old self, 
what would you say to that person? Okay, RuPaul. All right. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I should pull up a picture of myself when I was 15. No. Um, ooh, I, that's a you know, it's a hard question. Um, you know, I, I just, I can just like picture myself right now when I was 15, just very sad and not sure of who I'm going to be, what I'm going to do, but sorry, this sounds kind of generic, but you know, I would just tell 15 year old Paul that, you know, everything's going to be okay. Things are going to work out. Just follow your heart. You're an artist at heart, follow your craft. Don't care what people think about you. You're going to find success in your own way. Tamara, I want to say thank you so much for this lively conversation. I'm just really wowed by, you know, your story about your ambitions, your, um, your sassiness. I mean, you bring <laughs> so much of it together and I'm just so proud to get to have gotten to know you this past month and to see, to help, um, I mean, not not help, but like to uh, can't think of the right. I'm kind of mumbling yeah. here, but but you know, to bring your full self in, and also you know, just it's a it's it's an honor just to be a witness to to you and to the work that you're doing, and I really hope that many people in our community get to hear about the joys of being. Uh, being in drag and also to support drag artists and to support the LGBTQ community, especially yes. in the intersectional, with an intersectional lens. And so I can't thank you enough for being on my show. And I wish you so much the best of joy and abundance. Thank you so much, Randy, for having me. It was an honor. And actually, one more thing I would say to my 15 year old self do your makeup faster. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you. Well, that is a wrap for today. And I want to say thank you so much for listening to my guest and for this episode. So be sure to check out previous episodes that you might have missed. And to stay tuned, check out my Instagram at bunmi, which is B-A-N-H-M-I underscore chronicles or you can just type into my Facebook page at the Bunmi Chronicles or on Twitter at MI underscore Chronicles. And also before before you leave, uh, make sure that you send a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and be sure to uh, check out for any new episodes. Thank you so much. And again, have a wonderful day.